0: Lord, above all, today we desire to praise you, we desire to uh, get a glimpse of you from your revelation, and we know that you have revealed yourself to all men, as we saw last week and will continue to look at, but we also know that you revealed yourself in a very personal and intimate way, we praise you for that revelation, we pray that as we look into it that we would respond and be responsive to your word this morning. If there's anything that hinders, we may, we confess that and allow you to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we desire the illuminating work of your spirit to work amongst us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're looking at the book of Romans, and I hope you've been seeing that this passage is not only very important, but I think Paul begins to lay some unusually great foundations for the rest of what he's going to say in the book of Romans. So we've been taking it pretty slow, and there's a lot of things there that are very, very applicable to all of us today. So we're going to continue and look at just verse 20 this morning, because it's packed full. I may not even complete it, even though we touched on it last week. So city of Rome... Paul would have walked these streets, seen these structures in the first century because the archaeology dates to before that time frame. This major portion of the book, in fact the largest section in the book of Romans, essentially first eight chapters after the introduction, God is providing righteousness for mankind But mankind does not receive that automatically. It comes as a result of what Christ has done. So he's going to develop the most theological passage probably in all of the New Testament. And the passage we're looking at deals with condemnation. We need to realize our need before we are ready to receive what God has provided. So he's going to lay out the guilt of humanity, verses 18 through 32, And we're looking at verses 18 through 23, that little paragraph, first of all, where man rejects God, essentially, and he's going to give us the fact that God has revealed himself, and that's the reason why man is under wrath. So we've been looking at the concept of wrath, we've also been looking at the concept of revelation, which in our culture are foreign concepts, but we want to understand them. We've looked at 18 and 19, and that revelation continues. We're going to focus mainly on God's revelation in a general sense, in a general way. We call that general revelation. Wonder why. And verse 21, we see that man has rejected that. That's the heart of the passage, rejected God's revelation. The summary of this whole paragraph all the way to the end of the chapter, man is under God's wrath. We saw that in 18. And then he's going to give the reasons for that. He's arguing like a lawyer in a courtroom, point by point, building a case. And the conclusion that he's going to come to is that God is perfectly righteous in condemning mankind. So he gives reasons for the wrath, 19 through 23. And then 24 through 32, he's going to expand what we looked at in verse 18. That wrath can be seen today. In other words... The wrath is poured out in a present tense sense. And he's going to elaborate on how you can visualize that. And I titled that, The Rendering of God's Wrath, 24 through the end of the chapter. So it's kind of a chart form of the whole paragraph there. We've seen verses 18 and 19. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's the heart of that passage. Wrath revealed. Present tense against mankind, essentially, sinful mankind, was a tendency of suppressing truth. So we spent a whole Sunday looking at that concept, suppression of truth. Now he begins his reasons in the middle of the sentence. The reason God's wrath is revealed is because that which is known about God is evident with them. We looked at that last time. For God made it evident to them. God himself. He ensures that every human being receives a revelation of himself. And we're going to expand upon that because he's going to explain another avenue that God uses. But we reject that. We shatter the truth. And verse 20 is a complete sentence. So we break it down like we normally do. Does anybody remember where the main clause begins? You want to isolate an independent clause in every sentence because that's the heart of the sentence. Everything else is telling you something about that. (laughs) Very good. His invisible attributes, and then he spells it out, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Very good, Linda. So what's the subject? Attributes, main verb, have been clearly, or have been seen, actually. Clearly would be an adverb. And that is the essence of everything he's saying in that verse. That's the heart of it. So everything else is just telling us something about God's attributes and how they have been seen or how they've been revealed in the context of revelation. So let's look at the first dependent clause. Since the creation, actually it's not a clause, it's actually only a phrase. For since the creation of the world, in other words, something has been going on for a long time. This revelation has been continuous since mankind has been on the face of the earth. Even before that, even before there were observers, God's revelation was evident. So he's going to conclude there, so they are without excuse. So we'll develop that whole sentence today. So the revelation, the extent of it, we looked at that last time, is since creation, since the very beginning. So there's never been a time where God's revelation has not been available for mankind. So there's not a man that has ever been born that has not been exposed. And he's going to expand upon that as we get further into the text there. So we're talking about general revelation in this passage. We saw that in verse 19. That's general revelation. Internally, that's conscience We saw some parallel passages that develop that a little bit, actually in chapter 2. So God has revealed himself to every single human being because every human being has conscience. So there's a sense. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us that God has put eternity in man's heart. That's conscience. That's an awareness. That's revelation. That's a sense that there has to be a God that I'm accountable to. There has to be a creator. So, there's a tendency, however, on man's part to suppress that from the very beginning. Starts in childhood. And if people don't respond, and if parents don't teach and discipline, then that gets out of hand, actually. And even with input, even with the best input, sometimes children continue to suppress, and they go their own way. That's our tendency. That's verse 18. Nineteen, we saw that uh, the truth about God is knowable. So we spent a whole thing on the nature of truth. What is truth like? Because our culture essentially rejects, not only rejects and suppresses truth, but even redefines it. Postmodernism has a weird view that we talked about concerning truth. It's relative or it's non-existent, and particularly absolute truth. So we had to define those things and, and explain Truth is knowable. That's the biblical view. It does exist. It's real. There is such a thing as absolute truth. We've talked about that. And 19, also, it is evident or clear. It's clear enough that every human being can understand it. In fact, that's kind of the key idea here. Revelation, evident, understanding, knowing. We looked at several of them, and I just kind of listed them to show that that's the emphasis of this passage. And therefore, he can conclude in verse 20, they are without excuse. It's internal. We saw that in conscience. And supporting passage, chapter 2, 14 through 15, it's understood, it's implanted, it's within, it's evident. It's also verse 19. And verse 20, we saw last week, it's constant, It's continuous. It doesn't shut off. It continues day by day, moment by moment, since the creation. And that's where we want to pick up. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes. We kind of contrasted that. There's kind of a paradox here. That that is invisible is what? Clearly seen. How do you see invisible things? Well, that only comes by revelation. So we looked at the biblical concept last week of the incomprehensibility of God. That's a biblical doctrine, and I gave you several passages that indicate that. And what that means is that apart from revelation, there is no way that we can understand or even come into a knowledge of God. But this passage, the emphasis is God has revealed himself. But apart from that revelation, we are in the dark. Because God is invisible, and there a few passages, in fact, he's called the invisible God. And what that means is we cannot understand him, we cannot see him. Betty?
1: I, I'm uh, a little perplexed because what it says is what we know in this general revelation is his eternal power and divine through what has been made. So it seems to me that the general revelation is really man recognizing not only the beauty and the magnitude and power of other, et cetera, but recognizing that they are not in control happen this happened, mm-hmm. and they're not in
0: That's part of it. Okay. But it, it goes it's, even beyond that.
1: What has been made, mm-hmm. and what we're seeing through general revelation is his eternal But that's not the gospel and the no. redemption and, and all of that. That's not the general. But this is Very a good. sense of Very our good. humanity to see that God is in us
0: There is more more than control. Yeah, his existence, something of his nature Mm -hmm. can be observed. And I'm gonna come to the conclusion based on at the end of the passage here, this revelation is adequate to condemn mankind. And there's also another biblical principle. Whenever mankind receives revelation. That makes him responsible. That responsibility is calling for a response from mankind. I'm I'm kind of giving it away ahead of time, but that's okay. You'll see how I'm going to get there, and we'll build that case. But the case we're going to make is that this revelation is adequate to condemn, and man is responsible to respond to that. And for those that respond, no matter where they exist... If they respond to that revelation, God is going to make sure that they get the special revelation that brings salvation. And that special revelation comes from Jesus Christ, obviously. That's why he says, no man comes to the Father except by him. So those that respond, and I've got some examples. We may not even get that far today, but I've got some examples of individuals that came out of cultures, dark cultures out of those cultures, and they give a testimony that they had a sense that the animism, the idolatry, the false teaching that they were receiving from childhood on, they had a sense inside that that was not a description of the one true God. And when they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, they responded to it. But they responded positively. God sent missionaries to them because of that positive response. Mary Lee.
1: So that would that mean then that we would have Noah Abraham as examples of people who responded to God's general revelation and then received more specific yes. revelation? They I, all came out of cultures, and yet they responded when... I think um, it's,
0: it's a general truth that is applicable to everyone from creation. And there's a, an application for us as believers as well that goes beyond that. But that's the case I'm going to try to build, or or Paul builds, I think. I'm just trying to, it's not my case, it's Paul's. It's not Paul's either, it's Holy Spirit's. But I think this is what the text is, is getting at. So let's take a look and see how that happens. But first of all, we looked at the invisible attributes and we said that God is incomprehensible, and what that means is that we do not have the capacity to know anything about God on our own. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Without a capacity. The illustration I like to use, I want everybody to be real quiet and listen. Every radio station, every television station is broadcasting into this room right now. This room is full of broadcast data, you might say. Real quiet. Can you hear it? Nope. Why can't we hear the broadcast? We don't have the capacity. We don't have the capability of picking up those radio or television waves. We need a what? A tuner or a receiver to be able to uh, transmit it to our minds or to translate it into a a medium that we can hear. We do not have the capacity. We don't have the, the ability to pick up those waves on our own. We need something outside of ourselves. Similarly, we do not have the tuner, if you will, to know anything about God or to understand or to even perceive him. But he's giving us revelation, like a tuner, to be able to pick up that revelation and understand it. And he does it through conscience, and there's a couple of other ways in general revelation and an important one we're going to look at this morning. So God is incomprehensible, but that's on our own. We cannot comprehend him, but that does not mean that he is not knowable. God is knowable through only revelation. Make sense? That's a biblical concept. And we concluded last week, God desires that we know him. This is only one of a few other passages. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, let not a mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts of this, that he understands. So we have a tuner to be able to understand something of God. Understand and knows God. God is the speaker there in Jeremiah. The ability to know him. That ability comes as we respond to the revelation he gives us an insight concerning him. Something of him. And it says here that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness. That's chesed in the Hebrew. Justice and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things. God delights in us knowing him. This is God's desire. And it concludes declares the Lord. So, what can we know? We can know something of his eternal power. When we were in verse 16, we looked at the word, the Greek word that is in the text there. It's the same Greek word as verse 16, dunamis. And we said that the gospel has that power that God has put within it to be able to perform a miracle in the life of the unbeliever, to bring about conversion, to bring about regeneration is how Paul and other scriptures describe it. New life or eternal life. The gospel has that power. God is the source of that power. Now that's on a spiritual level. This passage is saying that you can see something of that eternal power through what has been made. And what is he talking about there? Nature, or probably a better description, would be the creation that that God has created. Nature is kind of the secular description of it. But through the creation, you can see something of his power. And if you just look up every day, well, don't, don't advise you to look at the sun.
1: <laughs> Rachel <laughs> <laughs>
0: But if you uh, are aware of it and kind of can see something of it, maybe behind a cloud, you will see something of omnipotent power. And I'd like to illustrate that just by the the magnitude of our sun, and just a few stats here, the diameter, 865,000 miles across, diameter-wise, that's 109 times the earth. The earth is almost incomprehensible to us, and the sun is 109 times that. It's 93 million miles away, more than a bike ride. And yet, we can sense, in fact, this morning, the sun was behind a cloud, and I'm riding my bike, and I was hoping the cloud would move south, because it was cool, and I was wanting to feel some of the warmth there, but we have the warmth of the sun, and it takes light from the sun to come 8 minutes and 20 seconds, so it's quite a ways away, Yet we feel that power. In fact, it's at the right distance that it doesn't burn us to a crisp.
1: <laughs> we can't get
0: and, any closer. That's right, and gives a, that's right, and gives us enough energy, warmth, and light, and all that it does that life is possible on planet Earth. So there's just unbelievable power there. Orbits a the galaxy. Two hundred forty million years to get around through the galaxy. I don't think we'll be around. The next time it makes its full orbit. And another interesting statistic, the power output from our sun is much more uniform than most post-G stars. Very little power fluctuation, almost dead steady. Which tells us something. And there's a lot of other things we can talk about. This is just to give you kind of a sense of the magnitude of the power available in one sun. Scientists, astronomers, and astrophysicists estimate there are 100 billion suns in our Milky Way. So we can't even conceive of the power of one sun. Think in terms of 100 billion suns, one galaxy. Same astrophysicists estimate there are at least observable or detectable 100 billion Milky Ways out there. Or that many galaxies, a hundred billion. Totally inconceivable. And if God is the creator of that, he is greater. In fact, he has more power. And all of those galaxies, all of those suns, derive their power from him. And he does not lose any power in doing that. Everyone can observe that. Maybe they can't observe galaxies, but they can observe our sun at least. And get a sense that there has to be a power behind the power of the sun. Make sense? But even here on Earth, we can observe omnipotent power. The sun is just one example. All you have to do is be aware of some cataclysms, and you have a sense of awesome power, right? If you've been in a hurricane, or if you've been in a massive storm, or an earthquake, or a volcano, some of these natural phenomena, you, you see the eruption, like at Mount St. Helens, tremendous power release. In some cases, inconceivable. They estimated when Mount St. Helens exploded, it was like an atomic bomb exploding every second for several minutes. So and just a massive amount of power, and that's just a little pimple on the face of the earth in comparison to the whole planet. So man can be aware. Where does that power come from? And natural revelation, you you must conclude logically that it's not its own. In other words, it has to have a source. It has to have a creator. And that's God's way of revealing. So cataclysms, I just put volcanoes, but you can put a whole list up there. Hurricanes, tsunamis, whatever you can think of in terms of cataclysms on planet Earth. And these things take place all over the universe. I'm just talking about planet Earth right here. You can go down to the bottom of the scale and look at this little tiny atoms that you can't even see without special, uh, well, I don't know, are they observable at all? Even yeah. Okay, electron microscopes. And you know that there are forces there that hold it together. There are electron forces, gravitational forces, all kinds of little forces, atomic forces. Where does that power come from, even at that level? And you go to the other extreme, we talked a little bit about galaxies and suns. Where does all that power come from? The logical conclusion, there has to be a creator that brings these things about, that instilled power within all of these systems. Make sense? These are just examples. You can look historically, and every judgment is a release of Oftentimes, very visible, dynamic power. And we have evidence of a Genesis flood today. In fact, all of the geological formations all the way down to the Cambrian, I believe, were laid down by the Genesis flood. Massive power. If you take a look at that and realize and understand what's going on there, you have to have an awareness of God's eternal power. Make sense? And not just the flood, but Sodom and Gomorrah on a localized level. The people around that area and in that time frame were aware of just these cataclysmic rainfall, you might say, of fire and brimstone that destroyed the five cities of the plain, or four cities rather. Power on display historically, where God intervenes in a very special way. So if you know history... And you can see things even today, and there's always been these kinds of things going on. And if you're a student of uh, science, then you're even more aware of the power available in the universe. Christ's miracles. Christ demonstrated omnipotent power. In fact, they were validating signs that he was, in fact, God, because he performed things that man can't do. He raised the dead. He healed physical disease. He turned water into wine. He stilled the storm. Displays of power. Power is visible. It's a revelation of God. And it points to that attribute of omnipotence. And you can go beyond also in terms of the miracles of the disciples, where power is displayed. In order to validate that they are of the Messiah that is in fact divine, that is God. God using them to display omnipotent power. And that's what this verse is talking about. Verse 20. His eternal power seen through the natural realm. Got it? So, not only his eternal power, but his divine nature. Divine nature had been clearly seen. So that is an evident display. If you just think about it. If you just think logically. You just make observations. That revelation is clear, and it's available to all men, including other divine attributes. And take a look at that. So, the visibility is clear. It's clearly seen. It's evident. Verse 19. We just looked at his omnipotence. What about his goodness? Somebody look up Acts 14, 15 and 17. And in this context, he's speaking to an unbelieving audience, a Gentile unbelieving audience. Who's got it? Jenny. Somebody else look up 17, uh, Acts chapter 17, 24 and 25. You get some hints here. Paul is also speaking to an unbelieving audience, and he's telling them that these are available to them as unbelievers. Not special revelation. He's talking about natural revelation in these passages. What does he say in Acts 14? Now, we probably don't need... 15 kind of gets into it. I think it's verse... Well, go ahead and start it, Jenny. Somebody else, who's got 17? Connie, all right. You got 14 there?
1: Why are you doing these things?
0: We are also men of the gospel of you from these vain things of God. To a
1: living God. Keep reading. It is heaven and the earth.
0: Notice he appeals to creation to this unbelieving pagan audience. Appeals to creation, and the implication creation reveals what? Keep reading. In the
1: generations gone by, he did all the need to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness.
0: He did not leave himself without witness. In other words, he is revealing himself. Go ahead.
1: And that he did good. things from heaven, fruitful
0: seasons, and your hearts with us. Okay, he gave goodness. <coughs> Every time it rains, it provides, provides water, it provides nourishment for plants, for gardens, for crops, and he does that for mankind. And if you just think about it, where does it come from and why does it happen? Why do we have this hydrological cycle? And if you think about it scientifically, it should put you in a position to think in terms of how did it come about And if you think perceptibly, God is really revealing himself. And he's revealing his goodness in that context. The revelation of his goodness. That's another attribute of God. His self-existence in Acts 17, 24 and 25. You got that one, Connie? And stay in there because I'm going to give you another one here. Okay, so right
1: before that, Paul, talking about... um, These
0: are the Athenians. Right. ...to the unknown
1: God and verse and with God who made innate...
0: notice he appeals to creation again in other words you all have access to the creation you can observe the creation and from that what can they understand keep going uh,
1: since he is a all heaven and earth dwell in with hands
0: nor is he worship with men's hands since he gives life breath okay since he gives all he has no needs self-existence self-existence of God. God has no needs. This is one of the passages that teaches that. And he is building a case from creation. You can get a sense that everything must come from the creator. Everything must come from him. And if everything comes from him, the implication is he has no needs in himself. Everything must come from him. You see that? You can come to that conclusion from observing the natural realm. Self-existence. And then verse 26, another thing you can observe. You want to read that one, Connie? Kind of. And he has made from every nation of men dwell on all the face of the earth. So all you have to do is study the history of mankind and understand the background of where people came from, and then what can you conclude?
1: Determine their free times and the boundaries of
0: Okay, you can conclude that God is control over all of humanity. In other words, he's sovereign. These are invisible attributes. They're eternal attributes. These are things that you can come to conclusions concerning the natural realm. And here's another one. You can even understand something of personality. Who wants to? Bob, why don't you look that one up? You got your Psalm 94 9. This is an interesting passage. You got it? The point I'm making here is in most of these passages, for example, Acts 17 and Acts 14, to an unbelieving pagan audience, he appeals to creation. And from that, he comes to other conclusions to convict them of their need for special revelation. And then he presents the gospel in those contexts. You got it, Bob? Psalm 94, nine. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? In other words, the creator that put eyes and ears into humanity, doesn't he have personality? Something like us. In other words, we can conclude that we're created in his image. He has the capacity to take in and understand and hear your prayer, for example. And he has the ability to observe. In fact, he knows all things, he's omniscient. But you can conclude several things from that passage just by observing mankind. And we could make another list. God's wrath is displayed in history through those judgments. So the natural realm can reveal something of his omnipotence, something of his goodness, something of his self-existence, something of his sovereignty, something of his personality, something of his wrath, and you can probably find passages for other attributes as well. Just the fact that man has compassion, and if God is creator of mankind, where does compassion come from? comes from a compassionate God. Capacity to love, you can say the same thing. There must be a source of all love. And these are being understood through what has been made through the created realm. The means of the revelation, one of the means is creation. It's one of the means of God's revelation. And let's kind of illustrate this with, with an everyday kind of example. Let's say you go way up into northern New Mexico and you go into the wilderness up there near Wheeler Peak and you go into this valley and you're thinking, I wonder if anybody's ever been here before. There's no trash, there's no signs, you know, there's no paths. It's just kind of wilderness out here. Um, And then you find a little device at the base of one of these trees there and you open up the little case, and you find some symmetry, you see some buttons, and you see some things, and you come to the automatic conclusion, isn't evolution wonderful? (laughs) That's your conclusion, right? No. In fact, your conclusion is, oh, I guess I'm not the first one to show up in this valley, right? Somebody of higher intelligence than that little Calculator that just adds and subtracts and divides. Somebody that has the design capability to produce that kind of a device must have been here before and he dropped that. Maybe not the designer, but somebody that purchased it or acquired it some way. That's the proper conclusion. In other words, an intelligent being is behind that little device. Those trees, the soil, the the weather didn't produce that. It's too complex, irreducibly complex. Yet, what do we say when you go to your biology class and you look at life? Evolution says life began in simple form, right? From simple to complex, single cells, very, very simple, right? That's what Darwin thought. In fact, uh, Michael Behe writes his book, Darwin's black box, because when Darwin looked at a cell, he thought that it just was very, very simple, just a little tiny nucleus with a little bit of jelly all around it, and that's it. Life forms. Well, there's evidence of design. Now genetics tells us, and has given us a lot of insight, to tell us that evolution is impossible. There has to be an intelligent designer. Just as you would come to a ridiculous conclusion if you came to the conclusion that that calculator came about by natural means, so also you have to come to the same conclusion magnitudes greater concerning life itself. One single cell is extremely complex, and we don't have the time to kind of lay all these out. In fact, DNA by itself, it's one organic molecule that is like a computer program. It functions in every cell to basically run a cell and has all of the programming and data built in to not only reproduce itself, but also to do all of the functions that are required within a cell. And we could talk about RNA. You could talk about mitochondrion kind of a energy system. ATP molecule, and these are just some of the complex ones, polysaccharides, etc. I'm not even going to pronounce some of these, we just go through them. The point I'm making here one single cell is magnitudes more complex than that simple calculator that just adds and subtracts. It has a few capacitors and little electronic stuff inside of it. One single cell is extremely complex. In fact, Michael Behe In his book, he says, the cumulative result shows with piercing clarity, in other words, God has revealed himself clearly, scientists can observe it, that life is based on machines, not just a nucleus and jelly around it. Machines, irreducibly complex. Take out one element of these machines and it doesn't work. And you have to have all of it together at the same time. Machines made of molecules. So it's on a micro-biological scale. In fact, another writer, and this is an unbeliever that I'm going to quote next, Michael Denton. In fact, he comes from an evolutionary background, still somewhat believes in evolution. He writes a book, Evolution in Crisis, because he understands microbiology and microbiology destroys evolution. He says... Molecular biology has shown that even the simplest of all living systems on Earth today, bacterial cells are exceedingly complex objects. Far more complicated than anything built by man. How could they come about by natural means? More complex than the space program. More complex than any medical device. More complex than uh, computers. And if you think a computer could come about by natural means, that's a little absurd. It's even more absurd to believe that life came about by natural means. Make sense? This is observable. You can see that. You don't have to be a believer to see these things. In fact, you don't even have to have a science degree. And if you have a microbiology degree, then you should be especially evident of these facts. There's also, we can observe in the natural realm, cause and effect. Everything is affected by cause and effect. Every science is affected by cause and effect. It's a fundamental premise observable in the natural realm. Principle of cause and effect. Relates to all phenomenon, living, non-living, astrophysical, geophysical, every system. You see cause and effect. And here's the principle, there's no effect greater than the cause. In other words, if you can isolate the cause and an effect, you'll always see that the cause is greater than the effect. Fundamental principle of science. Implies a primary cause. In other words, there has to be a cause behind all of the observable causes. We observe limitless space, at least at least, seems limitless from our perspective. Not eternal, but uh, we don't see the ends of it. What does that imply? There must be a cause that is infinite. There must be an infinite cause of limitless space. We have no concept of time. It seems endless. Uh, We don't know of a beginning apart from revelation. That implies an eternal cause, something that's outside of time. Boundless energy. There must be an omnipotent source of boundless energy. I gave you an illustration of that. We see interrelationships. So there must be something that causes these interrelationships that's (coughs) omnipresent. That is everywhere. Make sense? There's incredible complexity. There must be something that has a handle on that complexity. That causes that complexity. An omniscient cause. There are spiritual values. There must be a cause of spiritual values that is spiritual. There's human responsibility. We see that amongst ourselves. There must be a cause that has volition. A first volitional cause that caused all things. Human life. There must be a living cause to produce life. Does that make sense? You can come to these conclusions just from science. That's general revelation.
1: You say that we have no idea of the beginning. But we're not for to say that.
0: that's true if you're speaking of general revelation. Yes. But we infer that from material things, not special things. Yes, yes. We can conclude these things from just general revelation <coughs> that all men have. Conscience, we saw that. We can say history, where God intervenes and reveals himself. Primarily judgment, but other ways as well. Creation, that's what we've just been looking at. We can see not only design, but we can see cause and effect. That's general revelation. And then he concludes here, so that they are without excuse, because all have received it, and it has been clear, and it's evident, and I tried to illustrate it. That makes us accountable. Every human being is accountable to God. And what I've said, general revelation makes men responsible. It's adequate for condemnation, but not for salvation. And I believe that other biblical principle, when God reveals himself, and it makes man responsible, if men respond positively, God gives them further revelation. And you can see that illustrated in Scripture. I don't have time to develop that. Maybe next time I'll come back to that. So, when we talk about general revelation, we have a tendency to suppress it. It's real. Truth is knowable. It's clear. It's evident. It's internal in conscience. It's understood. God has put it there. He's implanted it. It's constant from the creation. And it's limited in that it can simply judge. And that's the case that Paul is making. But special revelation is needed. And here's an example of special revelation, God's word, Deuteronomy 4.35. To you, Israelites, to you Jews, it was shown, that's revelation, that you might know, there's knowledge, that the Lord, he is God. Yahweh is God. In other words, you have a general sense of God, but Yahweh, that's special revelation. Yahweh is God. And there is no other besides him. That's special revelation. Idols are nothing. Here's a source of revelation, general revelation. We've been talking about that. Special revelation. His word, God's word, where he's revealed himself. And also he revealed himself in Jesus Christ. If you want a passage for that, John 1, 18. No man has seen God at any time. Why? Because he's he's too scary. (laughs) Because he's invisible. (laughs) The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has exegeted him. We get the word exegesis from that word. Or explained him. Exegeto is the Greek word there. Jesus has explained or revealed in detail. Jesus is the special revelation that all men need. And I've got a bunch of examples. Let me just give you one. And next week we'll pick up, and I'll give you a couple of more. But one example is a man that I met several years ago. I don't know where he's at, or even if he's alive. But anyway, his name is Ransford Cinebo. That's not him in the photograph. That's a the third example I'm going to give you of one that I just heard at the Chaper conference. This lady was explaining her work amongst people in where, where was she? Guatemala, I think. Can't remember. But anyway. Ransford Cinnable, his testimony that I heard and (coughs) spoke with him, he came from an animistic tribe in the darkest of Africa, and they were idolatrous. In fact, they were headhunters. They were far in the dark in terms of revelation. He was raised in that culture. And he said that he inwardly had a sense that what they were doing was wrong and a sense that The gods they were worshipping were false gods. He had that inward sense. He also had a sense that there had to be a God that was bigger because he could see the creation. And that God had to have been huge to be able to create the sun and the moon and the stars and everything on the earth. He had that sense. And he remembers wanting to know that God. And in fact... Going along, he was part of that culture, but there was something inside of them that kept stirring him and telling him, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is not the true God. God sent a missionary to him, presented the gospel, and when he heard the gospel, he knew that that was the creator God and that Jesus Christ was the creator. It's his testimony. And that's the story of missionaries... All over the world, since missionaries have been going out, they come into contact with people from these kinds of situations who have responded positively to the revelation that God had given them. And in that positive revelation, God made sure that the gospel message reached them. And to others, God has passed over because they haven't responded to that revelation and they stand condemned. That's why Paul says they are without excuse. Make sense? I have a question. Yes?
1: It's obviously
0: completely theoretical
1: or hypothetical, but what would Adam and Eve's relationship with God have been? Would they have had any greater understanding of him? They would have had more understanding oh. of him, and that's where The, the magnitude's more out. than us. That's where the whole fall just completely breaks it down because we're incapable of comprehending in the relationship he had with him.
0: Yes. Yeah, they walked with him. They spoke with him. They had full revelation, special revelation of God himself.
1: You know, they, And we will have
0: that revelation when we go to be with him.
1: I it may be the <laughs> book in their hearts, but missionaries have gone out and found time and time again that had known and he had lost, and were waiting, and be told, it would, revelation, special revelation, would come to would you, and bring that. you the words of life again.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: I think a good one that might be, where a Savior's love, of things even when his wife said, God, die, he'd be the poison That might be a good Yeah, example.
0: good example. Very good example. Renewing your mind. Very good. Let me jump ahead here, and we'll conclude... Here's the principle that applies to us. The more revelation we receive, the more accountable we are. Now, you either need to stop coming to this class, or we need to take seriously what God says and respond to the revelation we have. We have an abundance as believers. We have an abundance of revelation. We need to be constantly responding to it. And may the Lord enable us to do that. Who wants to close for us? Bill. Bill. Father God, we ask, would ask you, Holy Spirit, to use this class. We have its true ray in our hearts to be more in alignment with you. For it. And we thank you for the continued revelation that you give us, our response. Work through us, Holy Spirit, to help you. Send us out now into a very hurting world, in Jesus' name. Amen.